this is uh, yeah wow when i when i jumped on this call i, I didn't think of the uh the sort of the storm that i was uh, brewing when uh, when i started chatting to you ali wow i mean oof. i didn't know how many enemies i was gonna have by the end of this podcast <laughs> Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. Today's guest is Ali Ostrander. She is an American long distance runner from Alaska and the three times NCAA Division I steeplechase champion. She has an extraordinary running CV and she's also pretty prolific on YouTube as well. In this conversation, we track through her running history, starting with a 5K race up a mountain that isn't a marathon, but is pretty damn grueling, through college, where she's at now with running, and what the future holds. It's a fantastic conversation, and I'm incredibly grateful to Ali for taking the time. Let's get into the interview. So, Ali, thank you so much for, for coming on The Big Run. Thank you for joining me early where you are in Seattle, slightly later on in the day where we are here in the UK. But just before we hit record, you were just telling me you're getting nice nice and caffeinated. The dog is fed. You're good to go. And we were talking a little bit about stereotypes, or not stereotypes, but my kind of understanding of of Seattle and the things that it's known for. I'm curious for our UK listeners, like, do you, do you have any sort of stereotypes or things you think of when you think of the UK? Um, you know, I guess I think of full English breakfast mm-hmm. and it being rainy. <laughs> yeah. And um like crumpets. Mm. Um and people calling the vacuum a Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, I don't have that many, but I have I've lived with um, one of my roommates once was from Scotland mm-hmm. and my friend's boyfriend is from England and I've been to Wales. So, you know, I feel like I've got, I've got a little bit of experience on like UK knowledge, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that much, I guess. I mean, all the other stereotypes, they're mainly just about like food and landmarks, which aren't really stereotypes. They're just like things that exist. Mm which kind of shows my lack of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, a crumpets I think is 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 a pretty is a pretty good shout and um I'm curious so you you spent a bit of time in in Wales. What was that for? So, I went there in 2015 for the Junior World Mountain Running Championships. Uh it was in Betsikoi. I think that's how that's pronounced. Yeah, Betsikoi. Yes, it's a yeah, beautiful yeah. part of Wales, yeah. It was it was beautiful like going there I think everyone was like, oh, it kind of sucks. Like you didn't really get to see that much. You were just in like this small little mountain town, but like it was my dream. It was just beautiful. We were right next to a mountain and like when you went up on the mountain, there were people with houses literally on the side of it with like big meadows where they were raising sheep and stuff. We were right on the coast. You could see the water too. So it was beautiful. It was very peaceful and nice. I mean, it would have been cool to like see some of the city life in like England or I don't know if there's any city life in Wales, but you know, in the UK, but I I really enjoyed Wales. Mm, Betsy Coed is is and shout out to people listening in Wales like it's this beautiful pocket in in the northern part of Wales and it's it's absolutely stunning there is city life in Wales 
Swansea, Cardiff, if you are listening, uh, it would absolutely we see you, we 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 hear you. Um, don't worry, there, there is there is liveliness in in Wales. I'm not we're not going to get ourselves in trouble right at the beginning of the episode. But the fact that you mentioned you were there for the the mountain running championship brings me nicely to what I wanted to really kind of kick off this conversation about, and that is your kind of relationship with with mountain running, and in particular that the Mount Marathon race now. People listening who I'm sure they do follow you on YouTube and have seen your videos, you put up this video about your kind of relationship with this race. And the thing that kind of came across to me watching it was that this race kind of, you kind of grew up with this race. It kind of, it kind of raised you as, as an athlete, you had ex- extraordinary uh, success with it, both as a junior and, and as a senior. I mean, maybe for the people listening who aren't familiar with it, do you want to kind of give an overview of, of what the race is and and your kind of experiences with this this quite frankly wild race that you were you were a part of for so many years. Yeah, so Mount Marathon is a mountain in Alaska. So Marathon is literally the name of the mountain. Um, the race is not a marathon. It's about five k long, um, and it starts in downtown Seward, which is a small town in Alaska. Goes to the about a kilometer from downtown to the base of the mountain and then all the way up down and then back another kilometer to finish downtown again. Mm -hmm. And it's a really big deal in Alaska. Like, um, I mean, mountain running is big there. There's a whole circuit. Um, but Mount Marathon is kind of like the crown jewel, the super bowl of the mountain running circuit and people get super into it, you know, like train for it all year round. Um, there was this whole trend where like these big mountain guys were getting um, Nordic track treadmills that would specifically go up to like a 40% grade because that's, you know, what a lot of Mount Marathon is. Mm. And they'd be like grinding on their uphill treadmill in their basement all winter, stuff like that. But anyway, I'm getting a little off track here. <laughs> but anyways, um, so the race – goes up and down the mountain and it's really, really steep. And there's a few different types of terrain. There's, you know, like dirt and roots. There's some rocks and creek beds. There's loose shale. Um, so it's it's cool. You know, you get like a few different techniques involved and it's super taxing physically and mentally because it's just such a brutal uphill And then the downhill is very abrasive and kind of shocks the system. But it's fun just because it's such a iconically classic Alaskan race. And I've done it so many times. Mm, mm. And I think the fun element is quite uh, quite an interesting word to kind of pull out from your your response there, because watching the video, there is a sense of fun that you were having with that race, because when you were running it, especially as a junior, maybe even moving into being a senior athlete, running wasn't your kind of main focus, like soccer was the thing for you when you were younger. Yeah. And, you know, fun is like one of those words that you always want to use to describe racing, but really <laughs> isn't the correct term to describe it. Like, There needs to be a word for fun that means fun in a painful yet euphoric way that (sighs) you experience after something is over. It's like it's retrospectively fun when you Mm. look back at what you did, but in the moment, it's not that fun. But it's very fun when you're done and you know you did it. So 
Yeah, it's it's that version of fun that I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast will fully understand. Is that like is that like type two fun? Is that what they call it? Type two fun where it's like miserable, miserable when it's happening, but fun in retrospect. Do you feel like that's a kind of fair estimation of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the the gist of type two fun. I also think of type two fun as stuff that's like, you know, a little bit risky and it's pretty difficult and takes a long time but like you weirdly enjoy it which i guess is yeah so that's about it i guess <laughs> mm-hmm. so what was the i mean and you 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 were the junior champion and then you were the the senior champion of that race and i i, I highly recommend people go and watch that video because it's just it's really enjoyable watching your kind of trajectory through it from your kind of your first one your first outfit uh when you when you first do it as a junior with the with the gloves and then sort of seeing your progression and and really taking on some of the some of the elite athletes that that came into into town to to do the race it's a it's a real a real kind of must watch so what was the trajectory sort of moving forward from that and when did running become more of a thing that you were finding that you were kind of more and more kind of drawn to you know, growing up, both my parents were recreational runners, so I always saw them going out for runs. And my sister and I did, you know, cross country with the school while we were in middle school and everything. But as you said, it, soccer was always the focus for me. I was super, super invested in going to college to play soccer and making the World Cup team for the U.S., you know, like that was my dream. And I mean, from a young age, like I was very invested in being a professional athlete. I would, during the winter, I would dribble circles around my bedroom with my soccer ball. Like every summer before practices, I'd be in the yard for hours working on my footwork. Like I, I was very into it. Um, But as I was also involved with running through, you know, my school and the school sports season and did cross country and track, I kind of came to realize that my natural abilities lied more in distance running than they did in soccer. And my biggest asset on the field was that I never got tired. And so I still wanted to pursue soccer because I felt like that was what I loved and what brought me the most joy. But slowly, I kind of shifted that towards running as I did more and more races, got better at it, put more into it, I started to enjoy it more. Because I think that that really is a huge part of passion. It's like, you're not probably going to be immediately passionate about one activity. It's once you invest yourself in that activity and are able to see progress and able to see like the fruits of your labor really bloom like that's when the passion grows because you get that like positive reinforcement from the activity and you get the intrinsic motivation to keep going and so I think that once I started putting something into running I saw how much I could get out of it and I like fell in love with it even more than I had been with soccer. And so I would say that that transition was slowly happening, probably from the time that I entered high school until about halfway through high school. And then after my sophomore year of high school, I decided for the first time that instead of 
um, playing soccer all summer, I was actually going to train for cross country. And that was the first time I ran during the summer. And that was kind of also the moment I realized that I was going to let the dream of being a professional soccer player go. And I was going to start pursuing running in college. It's interesting that thing you were talking about, about the, the, it, it reminded me of the sentiment someone else shared online recently of waiting to feel good to start something rather than actually starting and then feeling good. Like once you've got into the process, that thing of you, you were saying of like committing to something can sort of letting the commitment and sort of putting yourself into that fully, letting that be the thing that cultivates the the love and the, and the joy of something. Is that is that something you still kind of attest to when it comes to running? Yeah, I still have a huge amount of joy and passion for running. I think that it's only continued to grow and that won't happen with just any activity. You know, I do think that there are certain things that I would not be passionate about no matter how much time I put into it. But that's why I chose to pursue running because I saw that immediately that I could derive a huge amount of joy from this sport. And so, you know, that drove me to pursue it with everything I had. And I mean, I, I don't regret it at all. Like I sometimes I think about what would have happened if I had decided to keep pursuing soccer. But I mean, the ways in which running has changed and just enhanced my life are innumerable. So I definitely would never want to change what sport I pursued. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of follow that trajectory then in terms of you. You've kind of found that there's a real kind of connection with you to the to the sport and you've that you, you've had your kind of first summer where you've actually decided to, to run and, and put the football, sorry, the, the soccer ball. It's fine. It's fine. You can call them the same thing, the different thing. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. It can be soccer and football. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You've put, yeah. you've, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I can see I've, I've really hit a bit of a sore spot here. We can call it football from now on. <laughs> I'm fine. Now, full, full disclosure, like I, my kind of soccer slash football love sort of ended when I sort of left, uh, when I sort of joined what we would call secondary school slash high school for, for the American listeners. So my kind of love of soccer slash football stopped when I was maybe yeah, 12, 13. So I don't, I don't get offended by it. Like if someone wants to call it soccer, football, kickball, whatever, like it's, it's, it's all good. So like, I, I'm fine to call it whatever. But anyway, before we get into another sort of contentious debate, we've already annoyed the people of Wales. Let's not annoy the, the, the sort of uh, handful of football listeners who may be listening to this podcast. Oh my um, gosh, yeah, no, that's an even larger group than the population of Wales probably. <laughs> <laughs> We're really going with fire. Oh man, we, it, this is uh, yeah. Wow. When I when I jumped on this call, I I didn't think of the uh, the sort of the storm that I was uh, brewing when yeah. uh, when I started chatting to you, Ali. Wow. I mean, oof, I didn't know how many enemies I was going to have by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Ali Ostrander in football Welsh shocker. I can I can <laughs> see the kind of clickbait articles already. Um, <laughs> So let's 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 put the sort of the, the contentious kind of trolling to to one side and go back to your running journey, which is what I'm way more interested in. So you've you've decided to commit and kind of really sort of follow this kindling passion that you're finding for for the sport of running. So what is that trajectory? Because I mean, so sophomore year. So how old are you in sophomore year? 
I think I was 15 at the start and then 16 at the end. So right in that age range. So 16. And this was back in what year? Uh, 2012. Uh, 2012. Okay. So I'm just curious then that trajectory. So from 2012 to the 2019 World Championships team and the, the three NCAA uh, titles, that journey and a sort of wild journey. I'm I'm curious, and I appreciate that's a that's a long period of time. I'm asking you to conflate an answer there, but what was the uh, what was that progression like for you? And I mean, yeah, t- take us through that journey. Yeah, I mean, like leading up to it, as I said, it was slowly transitioning away from soccer and towards running. And then I think once I fully committed to running, it it kind of opened up a whole new world where I thought that I was a serious runner. And then um, that time also between 2012 and 2019 was the explosion of social media. Mm. And as many, there are pros and cons to social media for sure. But I think that I started getting exposed to what was out there, like what was possible in the realm of track and field, in the realm of running and training. And as a type A, like perfectionist person, I saw what I could be doing and I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything that I could. So, you know, slowly from sophomore year on, I started incorporating, you know, trying to slowly increase my mileage, trying to make sure I was doing, you know, core and band exercises. I I read that like jumping explosive exercises were good. So I started trying to incorporate some of those. Like I obviously was also following my high school coaches instruction, like while we were in the season and I trained with the boys all the time. So my workouts were really hard. Like still to this day, I think my high school workouts were maybe some of the hardest ones I've done, which wasn't necessarily probably the best thing because I think every workout was just all out instead of like actually being focused on a Mm. specific goal. But with that said, uh, it, it was good because I feel like I just gained a ton of mental toughness and like no matter what situation I've been in since high school, I've been able to handle it. So I think that I gained a lot from that. Mm. But yeah, so I slowly was, you know, working my way into being more serious about running, Um, but still played basketball throughout the rest of high school. Um, So every winter, instead of running, I would play basketball. Um, but I actually also think that was good because I didn't get injured in high school because, you know, I took a long break from running every winter. Um, but when I went to college, then I started running year round. My mileage went up quite a bit. My training was much more focused. I had great teammates to run with. Um, we also, had all sorts of resources I'd never had before, like athletic trainers and um, like strength coaches and just, I mean, tons of stuff. Like, you know, the, the facilities were incredible, like nothing I'd ever had. And so I was able to make a really big jump when I went to college and improve a ton. And it was super exciting to me. And it just motivated me to want to improve more. But at the same time, I think that was the point at which I kind of tipped from trying to do as much as I could to trying to 
do too much. Mm. And after my first season of college went really well, halfway through my second season, the indoor track season, I got my first stress fracture. And then that kind of led to a full year of really frustrating injuries. And I was stuck in this just terrible cycle of getting injured and then getting back and finally feeling like I was in shape and then getting injured again. Um, And that kind of went on until my, so my whole sophomore year until outdoor track. And then in outdoor track, I was super nervous. I just didn't know what to expect. I felt like there was all this expectation on me because I had had a lot of success my freshman year, Mm. but I felt like I was a completely different person, a different runner. And I just felt I was unsure of whether I could meet those expectations that I had for myself and had from other people. Um, So basically because of that and how anxious I was about racing that season, my coach and I decided that we would try a completely new event that I had never done before, which was steeplechase. Mm. So that that season, my first race of the year was a steeplechase. And I ended up winning that race and then deciding to pursue steeple for <laughs> the rest of college, basically. So um, that, that year I won NCAAs and then um, the rest of college, I raced the steeple every outdoor track season. And it actually like I had some, you know, other small issues here and there with injuries and hiccups and stuff. And there were definitely like some very, very hard moments. And like college was just such a tumultuous time. And I think everyone goes through a lot during college and just learns a ton. And mm. it's definitely not a smooth sailing time of life, but somehow the stars really aligned that every outdoor track season, things were going well. So I was able to always race the steeplechase. So I definitely feel like I got typecast as a steeplechaser. And that's something that I kind of just don't agree with because I think that steeplechase might not even necessarily be my best event, but it was just that's how it worked out that things were always the most smooth that time of year when I was racing steeplechase, which I don't know, maybe that just, it, it's the world telling me that I'm a steeplechaser, but you know, I just don't know. But yeah, that's kind of, that's, a. you ask me these questions and I just go off. I go on a very long tangent. I, I tried that. to make it short and it wasn't, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, I got into steeplechase and um after that I signed with Brooks Beasts and then ran at USA's for the steeplechase and that year uh the top four got to go to worlds which usually it's top three but this year there was an exception because we had the defending world champion in Emma Coburn so that gives you an extra spot mm-hmm. and so I placed fourth and got to go to worlds in Doha which was awesome, like a very cool experience. Um, And I got 17th at Worlds, which I was a little bit disappointed in just because I was less than a second away from qualifying for the final, which the top 15 make the final. Mm -hmm. But 
it was also my first time on the world stage at the senior level. And I ran a PR in the prelim, which is a personal record. I don't know. Does UK use PR or PB? It's just, it's a big debate. Okay. Well, this, this may be, this is maybe more in this kind of podcast's wheelhouse. We'll put Wales and football to one side, but I think PB would be the UK thing. But again, I, I can't I can't motivate myself to like get like annoyed but if someone uses PR but I th- I think we probably say PB I think PB is the kind of the UK thing but again I'm not about to kind of you know hate on you for using PR it's it's <laughs> yeah it's all good That's very kind I mean see the thing for me is that when I say it shortened to just the acronym I always want to say PR because PB just makes me think of peanut butter <laughs> But when I say it out loud, personal record just sounds weird. And I want to say personal best. Mm. So, you know, it kind of changes for me. Interesting. Interesting. And I mean, the the peanut butter PB connotation, I mean, that's that's not necessarily a bad kind of connotation to to have. Personal best. I'm just saying them both out loud. Just excuse us, listeners, whilst we get into this. Um, Personal best. personal record see personal best it has that sort of it has that better sound i think for, just for me personally just to sort of saying it out loud personal best it's kind of got that nice kind of sound record sort of slows it down a little bit do you know what i mean personal record like whereas it's like personal best yes i got personal best yes. and it, and also like if you were talking to someone who wasn't a runner and you said personal record they might think that you just like recorded yourself you know mm-hmm. and it was a record that you could put and just play it out loud for everyone or whatever <laughs> but personal best it's pretty obvious that that's just like the best you've ever done mm-hmm. yeah yeah the I, record there's ambiguity in there that there is there is I, I would also say as well personal record might sort of be confused with maybe like a cv or do you know what i mean like a, a resume do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. can i see your personal yeah. record like let me see your your qualifications or where you've been previously employed that that for me is a is a bit of a gray area I think that that might be where there's some friction maybe yeah that's probably a more likely misinterpretation of personal record than like an actual recording of yourself that you put in the record player but yeah anyway (laughs) I I, I love that idea though (laughs) I love that idea like I mean and I imagine there were like it's funny you say that I I discovered this recently at an old record shop and that they had these um these LPs which were interviews with with artists and they had one which was it was an interview with with Elvis that was released on uh on an LP and that is kind of that's kind of pre-podcasts so before you know we had this wonderful kind of digital technology that allows me to connect with you in, in Seattle and, and all the runners around the world and stuff. But people would sort of record podcasts and they would print them to vinyl and you would go and buy these interviews. And I, I think there's a version where that should kind of come back. Like maybe it's a race. Maybe it's like a race commentary. Like if you had like an amazing race that you wanted to record to vinyl, I think that would be a cool thing. I mean, what would be your race that you would want to commit to to vinyl that you could kind of always pull out of the of the record collection and and put on the hi fi to to kind of you know put a smile on your face? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I brought it pro- back to the convo. Just like I just I had to like pull it back in. I could see myself going like far west on a tangent. I was like, I've got to bring well, it back. You, yeah, your your podcasting experience is coming out in the way that you managed to just pull us back to the actual conversation <laughs> at hand. And um, it, it, when I have just 
had my best effort to pull us away to completely unrelated topics. No, I'm all for it. But anyways, I think probably I would say my my first national title. No, actually, you know what? I would say Milrose, my win at Milrose. Mm. I, I'm curious, just going back to your to your earlier answer, there's something that, that stood out to me when you were talking, where you said you were a type A perfectionist person. I thought it was really interesting because type A perfectionist person and the sport of running, I, I can imagine they're not too kind they're not perfect bedfellows, like because running doesn't always follow that kind of perfect trajectory. So uh, ha- have there been moments, like particularly in that period where you found there wasn't that sort of that that sort of harmony between your kind of natural personality and the sort of the rough hands that running can sometimes deal you? Yeah, and I think it's also interesting because they don't necessarily go hand in hand all the time, but runners definitely have a propensity towards being perfectionist. Like of the percentage of runners I've met, probably more than 50% were kind of that perfectionist type personality. And it sometimes is super advantageous because like my boyfriend, for example, we struggle with very different parts of training. So he is a type type B personality and he really struggles with um, like doing little things, you know, like making sure that he's doing his activation or getting in his core routine or doing his mobility drills. Like he really struggles with that part of it. Whereas I really struggle if anything goes slightly wrong or we need to modify the training plan a little bit. Like, okay, we weren't planning to have a day off, but you're really tired. So let's take this day off. Or, okay, we weren't, we were planning to do a workout today, but you know, your foot hurts. So let's push it off a day and recover today. Those sorts of things. I really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I want to stick to the exact plan at hand and follow it to a T because I'm like, well, this is what we'll, this is the best plan we could come up with. So that's the plan I want to follow. Um, and he's like, struggles a little bit with like certain aspects of discipline, but he's super good at being flexible and adaptable mm. and getting everything in, in his own time, in the way that works for him. And so like, it's really interesting to see that because ideally you could, you would have both personalities and be able to turn them on and off when you mm. wanted to, but that's, that's not how it works. Um, so for me, it's just like constantly trying to balance, you know, my drive and my my will to have a ton of discipline and resilience but needing to be able to tone those down zoom out and look at the bigger picture of okay maybe right now you don't want to take a day off because you think that that will interrupt your perfect plan but your perfect plan might be interrupted further if you continue to get more tired and get overtrained and have to take weeks off you mm-hmm. know Mm-mm. I'm sure many runners listening to that, that the hairs on the back of their neck have just sort of stood up in recognition. I think it's interesting that the type A and the type B, I think I could chime with with both elements of those. I think I'm probably an AB. I don't know whether that's that's one one on, on the list, but I think there's 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 things to take from from both of those kind of personality types. I, I'm curious, you were saying that it's something you're you're working on, like how how do you cultivate that and how do you improve on that in the way that you kind of, you know, you would improve your fitness by doing workouts and easy runs, you know, the kind of typical staples in terms of athletic development. Mm-hmm. How do you, 
how do you cultivate and maintain a sort of a healthy mindset so that you are able to be to be more kind of type B when you want to be type B and more type A when you want to be type A? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that I do is I try to approach it from an objective perspective. Like I'll pretend that it's not me I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone else. And I'll say, what is the advice that I would give this person? Because I'm usually really good at knowing what's best for someone else, but it's hard for me to approach my own training with that same sage wisdom. (laughs) But um, so I'll try to think of it like it's not me. And usually that helps me take my own personal emotions out of the decision and actually make a good one. And the other thing I do is I'll journal or like just write a bunch of stuff down. Um, and that kind of helps me get like the need for control and planning out of my head. Like say that I have to take a day off. I'll spend that day and like rewrite the entire plan out for the next two months. You know, That sounds really, really obsessive, but I was on a plane one time when this happened, so I had a lot of spare time. Um, I wouldn't usually go that deep, although I could. I wouldn't limit it from myself. But anyways, so like maybe I'll write down like a plan and that helps me feel calmed down and like, Mm -hmm. okay, even though this wasn't the original plan, this is still a really good plan and I like it. I usually end up not actually using that at all, but just being able to write it down kind of gives me reassurance that there's not only one path to where I want to get to, you know, if I could come up with a whole nother path in 30 minutes, then, then there must be a lot of them because that obviously didn't take that long, you know? Mm, I love that. I love that sentiment of just sort of visualizing or, or literally in your case of, 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 you know, putting pen to paper and kind of showing yourself that there are other routes out of a certain situation and seeing a plan on a page as well. If you are safe, like you said, missing one day because something doesn't feel quite right. When you see everything else that you've still kind of got to do as part of said plan, it kind of balances the scales a little bit and like, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm missing today, but look how much I do still have to do. And I will eventually do that will lead me to that, that same kind of destination. It's a really kind of lovely lovely perspective to to have on it and a really lovely sentiment to share as well so thank you and now just to to go back then we were kind of tracking through your your trajectory sort of i think we got up to sort of 20 2019 i think you just signed with with brooks i think i think that's where we got to so what was the kind of progression after that and how did it all sort of kind of play out for you so after i signed with brooks um, I moved to Seattle, so that's how I got here. This is where Brooks World Headquarters is, so they wanted all their athletes here. Um, I met my teammates. I moved in with one of my teammates named Carissa, and uh, it was honestly, it was really awesome. I, you know, it had been my dream since I was, you know, still really into soccer to be a professional athlete, and even though this was in a different sport than I originally thought, it, like being a professional athlete was my dream and I enjoyed it so much, you know, like just getting to focus everything I had onto my athletics and um, be able to represent a brand and have that brand fully believe in me and my ability and have like great teammates that were around me. It was really, really fun. 
And um, yeah, I mean, after I signed with Brooks, we trained in Seattle from like October to December. And then from January through February, we went to an altitude camp in Albuquerque. And during that time, I went and flew to Milrose and was able to run a 3K PR there or PB um, and um, win the race, which was awesome. And I felt so much momentum. That was also an Olympic year. So um, knowing that was kind of like, okay, like I'm in a really good place in early spring. So hopefully by summer, like I can just keep this fitness going. Um, And then uh, the indoor season ended. We were taking our break, a little break, like a week, basically, before we started our big buildup for outdoor season. And that is when COVID happened. Mm. And it was kind of wild because, I, I mean, nothing like it had ever happened before. Um, track season was slowly but surely all canceled. The Olympics were postponed. Um, we weren't allowed to meet up for practice as a group. Um, gyms were closed. It was it was crazy. Um, but I had been dealing with this really nagging Achilles pain for about a year that I was just running through and it was it was fine. But I was like, you know, there's no Olympics this year. There's no track season this year. So I might as well just take care of this now mm-hmm. so that I'll be good to go for the next year. And so I um, got a PRP injection in my Achilles, which is short for platelet-rich plasma. They basically like spin your blood and get all the plasma um, or all the platelets really condensed, and then they inject it into a certain area, and it helps it heal faster. Um, So I did that, and that required six weeks off of running to recover. And during that time, I got Um, it's also, you know, the perfectionist in me was like, I really want to be able to like get back into running and, and be in good shape. So I cross trained really, um, hard and I got a little bit too obsessive with the cross training. Um, I was also, you know, stressed. It was a really unforeseen time and everything was super unknown. So I yeah I went overboard, and when you say overboard, what 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 do you mean? Like, what's the kind of reference point for overboard with the cross training? I started doing about four hours every day. Okay, yeah, yeah, sometimes more. And what was your longest cross training in a single day? Five hours. Um, oh. That's a, that's like that's not far off a working day. Like that's that's yeah. that's a long time in there. Yeah. And I hesitate to say that because I don't want anyone to hear that and think, "Oh, I'm injured. That's what I should do." Mm. At the time, it was good because I really needed something to put all of my energy into. Um, but I really kind of wore my body down, and so although my Achilles did heal when I got back into running, I got. A stress fracture because my body was just really worn down from basically overtraining for mm. months. Um, even though I hadn't been running, it was just I was putting out so much energy every day that it couldn't recover. And so when I did start running, it just like couldn't handle that at all. Um, and that just started a really 
bad injury cycle with me with the Brooks Beast. And um, I ended up like stepping away from the team the next summer after the Olympic trials that were supposed to be the year before, but had been delayed a year Mm -hmm. after the Olympic trials, I got another injury and that had been my fourth um, stress fracture in one year. Mm -hmm. And so I basically was like, I really need to be able to come back from this super slowly at my own pace and not have any timeline on it because like I just cannot stay in this cycle and I feel like having the pressure of getting back on the start line and performing for a professional team is making me rush my recovery from these injuries and just causing me to stay in this cycle that is just absolutely brutal in every way Mm. and Brooks was super understanding and agreed that that was what I needed to do but also we kind of came to the agreement that that meant I couldn't fulfill my contract so I stepped away because at the end of the day my ability to actually run is way more important to me than having a professional contract So I stepped away from Brooks at that point. And then last year, I just kind of slowly worked on building back. And I was able to have a little bit of a racing season. I did like three races um, and it went decently. But uh, this year, I feel a lot better. Um, I think that my fitness is a lot stronger because last year I was so, so, so cautious and slow in building up. Mm. Um, but yeah, so excited for this year, but that is, that is the story. That's the full, that's the full roundup and, uh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. And I mean, you, you, you tell it so well and I'm grateful for you for, for sharing it with such with such candor, and I, I take your point as well about being cautious about sharing sort of specific details about your experience because not wanting to to put sort of wrong ideas or put things out there that might be misinterpreted by by people. And I think to go to your earlier point as well, when you're talking about you know when you were kind of coming through and social media was kind of kind of everywhere, is that is that something you're sort of mindful and considered with in terms of what you do and don't share because of that because there is sort of you know there's an audience there of people who rightly so look up to you as as a a role model like is there sort of a level of uh, thought and consideration that goes into the kind of stuff that you choose to share yeah definitely like in I I've never shared um the exact amount of time that I was cross-training like um, on my own social media or um, my YouTube or anything because, um, you know, people ask like, what what would you do? And it's just that I don't, it, that to me is like one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. And I don't want anyone to ever hear that and think, oh, well, this is what Allie did. And so if that worked, then that's what I want to do mm. because it didn't, it didn't work. Like maybe in the short term, it, I did get back into running and felt good pretty immediately. But in the long term, it caused injuries for a year straight. Um, and I honestly, like, I just think it took me so long to be able to get my body out of that hole that I had dug for myself. And so 
yeah, I just, I, I'm really cautious about stuff like that of sharing that, or like, I've been pretty open about having struggled with like an eating disorder. And, um, I mean, that exercise is obviously intertwined into that as well for me, but I would never share, you know, like, oh, like what I ate in a day, like when I was struggling, because then that's also fuel. People see, oh, this is what she was eating or like, these are the foods she avoided. So that's like what I will do too. Or, oh, okay, those foods are bad or this is what I should eat. That sort of stuff. It's, I'm really cautious about Mm. um, just knowing also like that if, I had seen stuff like that at the time. It could have been super triggering for me or uh, negative for me. So I just want to always try to be a positive influence. Um, and not that I want to have like toxic positivity all the time, you know, that I think that those are very different things mm. that maybe sometimes showing like struggles or downsides or negatives in your life can actually be a very positive thing. But showing like your biggest um mistakes in too much detail isn't necessarily a good thing Mm. even though you know it's it's great to be vulnerable and open and honest and transparent but sometimes you have to know which details to abstain from telling for the sake of uh, your audience mm, and and for yourself as well right I always think like I do you know I, I I talk to lots of people lots of different people within the running space some people who who give not not give more but share more some who share less and I always have yeah there's kind of great admiration for people who choose to share stuff that one might consider kind of uh, something that's quite sensitive or, or or vulnerable so I think you're right I think there has to be like a, a level of a level of filtration of just for preserving your own kind of sort of your kind of levelness in terms of your own kind of mental health and stability as well. Yeah. And I think that's the thing for me is that I share a lot about my personal struggles um, because for me that like authenticity and transparency is, is very high on my own personal values. And so it feels bad. Um, It just gives me like an icky feeling inside Mm. of myself to have something that I'm struggling with and to not be open about it. You know, if that, if that something that I'm struggling about is like a significant part of my life and I'm sharing my life, then I feel the need to share that as well. Obviously, I'm not going to share every single part of it, every single detail, but for me, I feel like I need to share to be, to feel good. Um, Mm. And also to kind of hold myself accountable for working through that. Um, But that's not the same for everyone. So if anyone is going through something, you know, an injury or something related to mental health or, or whatever it might be. I would never say that there's, you know, the rule of thumb is you need to share. If you're going to share your life, you need to share what you're struggling with. No, you only need to share if it's if it's going to be beneficial to you and your own journey because that has to be at the forefront, you know. For me, it was beneficial because I felt a huge weight off my chest when I could be open about my own struggles. 
but that's not the same for everyone. And I think that that has to be the first focus. Mm. Um, and it, so I would never judge someone for not sharing. It's a, it's definitely like a personal decision. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think it's that, with it, you know, we talk about running on feel a lot when we talk about running, but I feel like the, 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 that sort of analogous thing can kind of cross over to what we're talking about. It's like, if it feels right, feels authentic and it feels like it's coming from a place of, of, of meaning and value, then great. And if not, then that's also absolutely fine because yes, it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate. And especially when you're doing it through these, 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 diff, these, these platforms that also, like we were talking about earlier, kind of come with their own kind of baggage. It's, it has to be sort of right for the, for the individual. Now you touched on sort of the, the races that you've done so far this year and things sort of seeming to kind of track in, in, in a sort of more positive kind of direction. I mean, where are you at right now and, and how's everything feeling? And I mean, we're recording this, what, sort of the tail end, tail end of January. Like, how are you feeling about 2023 and, and looking ahead for you? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty positive. Like I've had a good buildup since about September. Um, I did a time trial a few weeks ago and then took a little bit of a down week. And now I'm kind of building up again. I am doing Gate River Run 15K on March 4th and then Carlsbad 5K on April 2nd. So those are my next target races. And I just like at this time last year, I wasn't even doing workouts yet. Um, I was still just trying to build up my running volume to get to a place where workouts made sense. And so I'm really excited that this year I'm much further along. Like I've done a full training cycle. I've had some really good workouts. I've had done a time trial. Like I feel way more prepared this year going in. And I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just really excited. Like last year was kind of like a soft re-entry into a competition. And I'm hoping this year can be like a full on, I'm running, you know, an entire season, um, and racing all spring and summer, like that is fully what I want to do. So yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, we are too. Looking forward to seeing how 2023 kind of tracks out for you. You know, you mentioned the, uh, a 5k race and you were saying earlier that you wouldn't cast yourself as a, a steeplechaser. So, I mean, if we're, if we're making the, I mean, well, maybe they are going to make a movie of your life. Who knows? But if they are and you're going to cast yourself, I mean, what distance would you like to cast yourself as if you didn't want to typecast yourself as a steeplechaser? Uh, I just I just don't know. Like, I don't know if the typecasting of a steeplechaser is wrong necessarily. Mm, I just okay. don't feel like I've explored other events to know for sure that it is right. Um, because I just, yeah, you know, there's <laughs> – I'm. I, at this point, I'm not that young anymore for a runner. Like I am 26, you know, mm. but I feel like I have not yet really explored like the 5K or the 10K um, on the track to know if I might be better at those events. Like I've run, I've run two 10Ks and I think I've only actually raced um, like three or four um, fast 5Ks, you know, like there are certain, I've raced a lot of 5Ks, but most of them were championship races or like qualifying races. So I barely raced the 5K in 
like an actual, you know, paced hardcore race. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's really hard to say. I just don't know. Um, I feel like all of my uh, key race opportunities were focused onto the steeple. So I didn't fully explore those other events, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't typecast myself as any one event. I also just feel like I don't know why there's this huge need to have a, a very specialized event. You know, mm-hmm. I think that the train for the 3K, 5K, 10K, like can be pretty similar. And like you could quickly, you know, like just switch up a couple workouts to tune up for one event and then switch up to tune up for another event the next week and probably do well in both of them. I don't know. That's That might be more of like an amateur mindset, but in my head, I just don't see why that wouldn't work. I, I again, we're going to, I'm going to, underline all of all of what i'm about to say by saying i'm certainly not an elite level coach but i can kind of see where you're coming from it feels like just it would be a case of just increasing or decreasing sort of volume and maybe the distances that you're running in your sessions but it feels like within that kind of within those kind of confines it feels like it wouldn't be that hard to kind of switch up or, or switch down and i think i think you're right i think why why set yourself in one lane like if running is something that you love like explore it in all its kind of possibilities i mean in terms of maybe further afield and away from the tartan and up in the mountains is is mountain running something that you're you you'd kind of look to sort of come back to and maybe maybe a return trip to wales to bring it back to how this conversation started (laughs) yeah uh yeah definitely i think i've always known that i want to do mountain running or trail running at some point like it's it's just the thing that brings me so much joy. And um, I felt a little bit like I couldn't do trail running and stay in the track world, especially with my Brooks contract. Like that limited me. I had to focus on track. Mm-hmm. But now that I am not in that contract anymore, I'm much more open to the idea of mixing in trail running and mountain running races throughout my year and just kind of seeing how that goes, how I enjoy them. Um, and not, and not limiting out any sort of discipline in the running world. Look out, Cody Brennan, look out, Betsy Coward, (laughs) Ali may be coming over. That's, that's, that's super exciting and yeah, really excited for you and for what, for what 2023 holds. And now, typically towards towards the end of these conversations, I like to kind of wrap things up with with two expansive questions. Now, I, I did send these to you ahead of time, but I'm actually going to just switch it up a little bit and just throw something different at you. Now, I'm conscious I've been sort of asking a lot of questions of you throughout this conversation. But in terms of you, like as an athlete and as an individual, what are the questions you want to ask yourself looking ahead for, for 2023 as a as a runner? Um, so I think... For me, the first question is always, did you approach this year and and your goals, or not with, from every angle? Mm. Um, so for me, that basically means not just did you do everything, but did you do the things that you didn't even realize you needed to, I guess? Like, mm. did you approach it from every angle? Meaning 
not just me following the little training plan, but me zooming out and figuring out what actually is the best, me making sure that I'm focused in on, you know, getting sleep and and massage and my nutrition and um, having a balanced life that I'm not too focused and not like squeezing the joy out of things by getting too intense, you know, like did I approach it from every every angle? And I think that's something that I've never achieved before, but it's something I'm always striving for. And obviously it, it won't be perfect ever, um, but I want to make sure that I don't just approach from one angle and expect everything to work because there are a variety of different angles and I want to make sure that I'm at least focusing on a few of them. I love that. Love that sentiment. Lovely question to ask yourself as we move into 2023. And that feels like a, a lovely note to end our conversation on. Ali, thank you so much for for rolling with the punches with these uh, ranging questions. Yes, from whales to crumpets to your entire career conflated into the space of an hour. You've been a, a brilliant guest. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the big room. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I apologize. The answers were anything but concise. So you might have a lot of editing to do, but, um, you know, hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> A big thank you to Ali for coming on the show. You can follow her on Instagram and I'll put the link to her YouTube channel as well. Definitely check out some of those videos we talked about. She is a very talented YouTuber. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the show. And I'll see you next time for The Big Rump.